0: Yeah, this is my life, I'm done trying to convince people I'm real, sleep, never Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast presented by the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. This is an inside look into the training of eight of America's best marathoners as they prepare for the Olympic marathon trials in February 2020. In this episode, episode number four is with Kellen Taylor. Kellen is, without a doubt, one of America's best marathoners. She has run 224. Recently, she ran 226. And... She is getting ready for what she hopes is a monumental year, not only for her, uh, but also for her team, Nazelite. They have some of the best runners in the country at almost every distance, and it really is fun to follow them as a team. So, in this episode, we touch on a lot of things uh, about Kellen's training, her recent uh, trip down to the Peachtree Road Race, her trip then after that, after that race, immediately going to the Olympic Trials Marathon course and seeing what that looked like, and getting ready for the U.S. Championships in the 5K and 10K. So, all in all, we touch on a lot of topics, and I hope you like this episode. If you haven't checked out the episode we put out on Monday, that was with Lou Serafini. That was also really good. I'm really excited about all these interviews. Frankly, I just love talking to all of these athletes as they dive into exactly what they're thinking about and what they're doing in preparation for all things 2019 and 2020. So, with that said, I hope you like this episode with Kellen Taylor. Hello, Kellen, and welcome
1: to the show. Hi, thanks for having me.
0: It's my pleasure. I'm so excited to have you uh, as part of this project to follow exactly what you're going to be doing up until uh, the Olympic marathon trials in February. So first of all, thank you for letting us be a part of your journey. And before we get into just some of your background, uh, like we're doing with all of these kind of introductory episodes, how are you feeling
1: now? Um, I'm feeling good. Um, I just came off of Prague marathon, which was, I think six or seven weeks ago. And that went me. Okay. Not my best, not my worst. Um, I'm just kind of building up for a track season now and hoping to have a good, good one at USA's in a handful of weeks.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. And how about your training, say, the past two weeks? How are you feeling that it's going?
1: I'm feeling really good. Um, surprisingly good, actually. Usually I come off of a marathon and I've had uh, the case where, you know, I can't do anything. Everything kind of feels like garbage. But this time around, I feel really, really good. Um, and I think that was kind of shown when I ran a five 5,000 for the first time in a few years, uh, five weeks after Prague Marathon and PR'd by a couple of seconds. So hopefully I can carry that on over into the USA's.
0: Yeah, that was huge. I mean, what an effort that was when you were getting ready for that race. How long wow. did it take you to kind of shake the, um, like the, the post-marathon lethargy out of your legs and get them nice and snappy uh, for that 5K?
1: You know, the funny thing about that is, is that we didn't really do anything super specific for the 5,000. I think that Ben Rosario, my coach, has kind of figured that we do best off of strength work. So we just used the strength that we had from the marathon and carried it into whatever race I had chosen for post marathon. And that happened to be that 5,000. Um, and I kind of went into it with no expectations. Um, I obviously wanted to run fast, but I didn't really have a super high expectation for myself. I wasn't like, Oh, I have to run 15, 15 or else, you know, the world ends. It was kind of like, you know, hopefully I can go and I can run fast, but if not, you know, also realize that it's only five weeks post marathon and that's not the end of the world. So, you know, kind of going into it with, um, I don't know. A clear head was kind of nice. And
0: with that being said, you're such a competitive person with such a strong drive. What was it like going into a race with the, with that being your mindset? And how long did that last once the gun went off?
1: I mean, obviously, once the gun went off, I was racing. I mean, I wasn't going to the race to just jog around and like, you know, have a nice, easy jog in the park. It was to go and compete. Um, but... I have found that every single race that I have PR'd in has been one that I haven't had insane amounts of pressure pressure on myself to do really well. They're kind of like, well, you know, if it goes well, great. If it doesn't, then I don't know. You know, it just kind of is what it is. There's always another one. and that's exactly how I went into this one. And the gun went off and it felt really easy for a really long time. Uh, just kind of fell apart the last few laps. And I think that could be expected when obviously I hadn't had that type of turnover leading into it. So, you know, I was really pleased with that.
0: It's amazing to me. I guess I shouldn't say amazing. But now that you are knee deep in years of marathon training, you you have in essence, PR'd at every distance and not just the marathon. So how would you quantify or I guess, yeah, quantify, but how would you categorize marathon training in relation to its effect on basically distances, you know, from 5,000 meters on up?
1: Um, well, you know, our team, we're kind of a, I guess, our coach Ben always calls us a strength focus group. So that's basically saying that, We're going to put in the miles. We're going to put in all the work that we would for a marathon and use that for every distance that we're doing. Um, you know, so for this five, five thousand that I just did, it wasn't doing, you know, a bunch of quarters. It was basically doing everything that we've done in preparation for a marathon and carrying that strength into the race and, you know, hoping that it works. And fortunately it does, at least, at least in my case, um, and definitely in some of my teammates' cases. So. I think we definitely have some solid evidence that strength is super important, not only in the marathon, but in shorter distances as well.
0: And when you say strength, what exactly does that mean in terms of like what systems are you trying to build and what workouts or what kinds of workouts help build up those systems?
1: Sure. I mean, we're doing... When we're doing our marathon work, we're doing, you know, 14-mile steady states, 16-mile steady states, something where you're not going to be completely taxed doing it, but you're working for a really long time. Um, you know, you do quarters at race pace for a 5,000, so in like 72, 73, you're going to be pretty tired after every one. That's working pretty pretty hard. Um, but in these, you know, we're running 540 pace maybe for 14 miles, um, and yeah, I mean I think that those types of workouts, um, doing we do five by two mile. Uh just yesterday we did a fourteen mile steady state and you know, I just finished a marathon, so obviously I'm not getting ready for a marathon. Um and Steph and I kinda laugh about it. We're like, Oh yeah, we're getting ready for this marathon that we're doing here in the fall. Um but you know, we know that it works and it's good. It's good. It, it works. So sometimes you just kind of have to have faith in the system um, that you're working. And I think that all of us at Hoka Nazelite have pretty much done that and it's paid off.
0: So would you say a steady state run is slightly faster than marathon pace? Or how would you characterize that in relation to... Um I guess, like a certain, certain distance um, goal pace or something like that?
1: Uh, it depends what you're getting ready for. Um, for a marathon segment, we will do our steady states at Marathon Effort. Now we're at 7,000 feet here in Flagstaff, so obviously that's going to be adjusted, um, whatever you want to call it. Ben likes to call it different for every person because everybody um, is affected by alt- altitude differently. Um, but, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15 seconds adjustment for that. And then if you're getting ready for a different different race where you're not really needing to tax that zone quite as much, um, it might be a little bit slower. So yesterday we had a steady state that wasn't at marathon effort. It was about 10 seconds slower. Now we ran a little bit fast, so it ended up being five seconds slower per mile um, than marathon effort. Um, But, you know, it's still getting in a lot of really good work. And
0: you've said in the past that you know you're basically your two favorite races are the marathon and the mile. So when you have absolutely, you know, it's like <laughs> those are those are like obviously two very diff- distant ends of the spectrum. So what's it like for you doing a lot of work in kind of the, these steady state segments or like you know like three by two mile repeats or just things like that as opposed to hopping on the track and really burning it out? Like do you, do you miss doing that sometimes?
1: Um. You know, I don't I don't really miss it because I think that the results have pretty much shown that I don't necessarily need to do that stuff in order to run fast. You know, I ran a PR in the mile just last year and it's not like we were preparing for a mile. Um, So just kind of getting all that volume on my legs and just the work, I think, has led to everything kind of just being better. But it is fun to go no. fast. You know, I always I always ask Ben <laughs> if I can just like run a really fast quarter I want to break 60 you know or do a really fast 800 and just see what I can run but that doesn't happen very often oh
0: no what what do you have to do to get him to say yes to that or do you just do it anyway and not tell him
1: I mean I kind of do it but (laughs) it's it's kind of hard to run a really fast quarter at the end of a long workout I think we did what did we do we did a workout just last week or a week or two ago where just last week I think and I had some quarters built in and I made them a little bit faster than they were supposed to be. So I finished my last one at 61. And I was like, oh, that was my chance. But <laughs> one of these times.
0: <laughs> so do you think that because you've, you know, done so much speed in your, in your, in your history, that this kinds of training now allows for you to continue to be fast, even though you're not doing those kind of like really quick up tempo workouts, or do you feel like if you you'd be at the same spot even if you've been training this way the entire time like from like age eighteen up until now?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I think that a good person to look at as an example would be Steph, my teammate she did not come from a speed background and she's gotten faster. So I think that I would probably be faster just using her as an example. But it certainly doesn't hurt to have had it in my background because it definitely comes easier to me than it does to her. And that's pretty evident in our workouts and stuff. She kind of red lines a lot easier than I do when we're doing that fast stuff.
0: And when you have those um those training runs where one of you is either either handling the workout a little bit better than the other. What's it like, you know, just, just the internal dynamic within yourself about trying to kind of making sure that, you know, you're, you're only judging your own performance without being too competitive with, with the other runners. Or are you okay with being competitive with, with your teammates in those training sessions?
1: Um, You know, I think it's important to look at what you're doing. I mean, if you're doing something and it's like you have the green light to go as fast as you can on a certain rep, then I think it's fine to be competitive. But if you're doing something and you're supposed to be hitting splits or supposed to be working together in order to reach the final goal, then... I think that you need to be aware of that because it's not necessarily just affecting you. It's going to be affecting everybody that's doing the work with you. Um, And you want to you want to be a good teammate. And I definitely struggle with that aspect of it. I mean, I'm not trying to like be competitive or race, but I struggle hitting paces. It's just not something that I'm great at. So, (laughs) you know, it's nice to have other people in there that kind of reel me in a little bit, like be like, hey, chill out a little bit. This is what we're supposed to run. We're not supposed to run five seconds faster. Just run what we're supposed to run. And then if, we're, if we get a chance to go faster, then go for it. That
0: that that part of your personality, is that simply something that manifests itself in athletics? Or have you always been someone who sees a standard and then implicitly tries to kind of go over the top of it?
1: Um, I would say mainly in athletics, I'm very type A when it comes to athletics um, and maybe some other aspects of my life. But definitely when it comes to athletics, I want to I want it to hurt. I want to see how fast I can go. I want it to be worth my time. And I'm not saying that the stuff that we do when it's not especially hard isn't worth my time. But the way that I look at it is I want to be working hard all the time when it's a workout. And if that means that I have to go five to 10 seconds faster then I might do that. Um, but Ben, Ben gets mad at me. (laughs) Right. Rightfully so.
0: (laughs) So, so I guess it would be a bad sign if you saw a workout and were like, Oh man, I don't know if I could hit those paces.
1: Um, there's very few workouts that he's given me that I've ever said that, um, you know, for me, it's like being a second slow is my worst nightmare. And being five seconds fast is fine.
0: And how does that affect race strategy for you at various distances? Obviously, this is we're talking right now you know, as, as the road to the Olympic trials. We're spending a lot of time on the marathon, but you race at various distances. You just ran uh, the Peachtree 10K. And I can't wait to talk to you about that. But when you talk to Ben about race strategy and he knows and you know that you have a tendency to go out harder then, um, then maybe you should at times, how do you build that into a particular race strategy at various distances?
1: You know, I think it's something that we're still working on. Um, I'm pretty hard headed, so I usually do what I'm going to do. Um, and that's definitely not a great quality, but I think that the more races that I'm, running I'm starting to see that yeah if I go in and I'm relaxed for the first you know quarter of it or the half depending on the distance I have a lot left you know that last half or three quarters so there definitely are things that I take away from those races that I go out too hard and kind of fade or have nothing left you know I want to be able to go down the home stretch and be kicking not necessarily just maintaining my pace because that's where the races are won. Nobody cares if you ran the fastest first half. They care if you get to the finish line first. Right,
0: but you care, right? Like in the moment like if it's mile, say say it's, say it's you know a quarter of the way through the race, it sounds like in the moment you care whether or not you're in first or in fifth or, or what have you
1: I I do care. (laughs) Um, I think that I run best when when I'm in control. So for me, sitting behind somebody is really difficult because I'm not in control. Um, And I find myself, I think that it kind of puts up mental barriers um, that make it a little bit harder for me. But, you know, it's something to work on. Everybody has things that they could do better. And that's certainly one area that I'm trying to improve.
0: This episode is sponsored by Aftershocks, the award-winning headphone brand best known for its ear-opening listening experience. Powered by patented, best-in-class bone conduction technology, Aftershocks headphones sit outside your ear so you can hear your music and your surroundings at the same time. Aftershocks is a must-have headphone for runners, providing them the ultimate level of safety and comfort without compromising quality. Not only runners, but bicyclists as well. I can't say that enough. It's so important for cyclists to hear what's going on around them, even more so than runners. And this is a huge thing for them as well. So learn more and save $50 on Aftershocks Endurance Bundles by visiting olympictrials.aftershocks.com. That's olympictrials.aftershocks.com. In addition, let me just say, six-hour battery life on these things. I love wireless headphones, but... The pain in the butt about them often is their battery life. I don't like having to charge them every single night, and you don't have to do that with Aftershocks. So give them a shot, olympictrials.aftershocks.com, and use code R-T-T-O-T at checkout. That's Run, I'm sorry, Road to the Olympic Trials acronym, R-T-T-O-T at checkout. So let's talk about Peachtree because that race was, as it always is, absolutely loaded with talent. So yeah. in that race, you ran uh 3237, which was is it three seconds off your road PR for the 10K?
1: That sounds right. Yep.
0: Okay. So so you ran really, really well, you know, you know, compared to like compared to your history. At the same time, you also finished ninth in about two minutes. Behind uh, Bridget Koske, who finished first. So let's just talk about strategy. (laughs) Strategy going into the race. Okay, when you and Ben were deciding, you know, how to go about this race, how much of it was pace-based and how much of it was feeding off some of your other competitors.
1: Um, you know, it was more pace-based than it was than it was my competitors. Just because, you know, we knew that there was going to be a huge front group that was going to go out at a ridiculous pace you know, I'm not running 30 20, so I'm obviously not gonna go out with them. That would be just a very slow, painful death. Um and in terms of competitors, I think that we looked to kind of Emily Sisson. We thought maybe if I could hang with her, that would be really good. And it would have been great if I could have hung with her. Um so her and I ran together for a couple miles, two or three miles. Um, but then she obviously pulled ahead a little bit and I found myself in no man's land. Um, But yeah, it was kind of just look at my watch every mile, trying to stay within, I think he said, look at my watch and see if I hit five minutes for each mile. So five minutes at the first mile, 10 minutes at the second mile, 15 at the third and so on. Um, And I definitely did not do that. So it was a little bit depressing, but it did give me a game plan, something to kind of focus on and see where, how much I needed to pick it up.
0: So where, what were your splits early on?
1: Um, I think I was 5.07 through the first mile, 5 flat through the second. And then we hit 5K in 15.39 maybe. Um, and then I don't recall the rest of it.
0: So overall, your first impressions after you finished, what were your, what were your thoughts about how you competed in the race and how you ran relative to your fitness?
1: Um, in regards to my fit- fitness, I thought it was pretty good. Um, You know, I was still only two months post prog so taking that into consideration, I thought it was a pretty good step in the right direction. Uh, race strategy, I felt like was it was solid. I did what I could. Didn't feel like I really lagged in a ma- major area. I just didn't really have it when it came down to the heat. Um, you know, that takes a lot out of you, and you can never really predict how your body's going to handle it. Um, I think that I ran okay in the heat, but I certainly don't excel. Um, so yeah, I mean it, it was it was a solid race. Nothing to really write home about, but it was it was fine.
0: And when when you were going into the race, how were you viewing it in terms of I guess categorizing it in terms of its importance in the current season that you're in?
1: The re- the only reason that I would say that it was important was because I don't have a whole lot of race opportunities, um, this summer. So just kind of using that, um, as a big building block for my segment, you know, you, I think you get a big fitness boost when you race because it's probably better than any workout that you're going to do. Um, so it was pretty important in in that regard in terms of, you know, place and all that good stuff. It wasn't really a huge thought in my mind. Um, it would have been nice to have placed a little bit higher, but you know, when you have women in there running 30, 22, there's only so much you can do. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and when you, I think this was like a, a great experience. Not only did you get to run Peachtree, but then the next day you got to take a look at the Olympic marathon course, which is obviously is really exciting as well. So first of all, it seemed like you guys had a great group down there who took a look at the course. Who else was with you?
1: Uh, We had Emily Sisson. Um, A couple of the girls ran the course the day after the, or the day of the race, like right after they ran the race, um, which sounded a little crazy, but yeah, they they did that. So a big group of girls did that. Um, Who else did we have? We had a couple other people as well. I just can't recall who. But yeah, it was it was really good. It was great to get out there and see it.
0: So what were your expectations um, going into, I guess, going into it before you saw the course?
1: Well, you know, I think that it was kind of good to have everybody else be like, oh, it's like a mountain. Because when I saw it, I had like this huge expectation of it just being this enormous hill that we're climbing constantly. And it just wasn't that, um, you know, it's hard. Don't get me wrong. Like you have to respect it and it's going to be a very difficult course to run, but I certainly didn't look at it and be like, Holy crud. Like it looks fine. Um, train for the course that you're going to race. So we'll definitely do a lot of up and down. Um, the first six or the six mile loop that we do definitely just kind of rolls. They're kind of long, um, long hills, long, steady hills, but in a couple, a couple of steeper ones, but not a whole lot. I think as you come around, you know, each loop, it's going to get harder, but the real kicker is going to be the final two and a half mile loop. Cause that, that is a hard loop. Um, so I think that's kind of where the race is going to be made in that last two miles.
0: And what about that two miles? If you have people who haven't seen the course, you know, topography, your description, you know, how would you explain it?
1: Very difficult. (laughs) Um, There's a really, there's a steep, long kill, um, both up and down. And I think that it, it just seems like it goes on forever. So you're definitely going to have to grind it out and know that you're close to the finish, because if you don't, (laughs) it could definitely break your race. Now,
0: would you compare this course to any other courses that you've been on? Not necessarily a marathon, because obviously, you know, it's uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be that. But if you look, just look at the topography and the turns and things like that. Is there any courses that come to mind that you think are similar?
1: You know, I was trying to think about that and I really don't I don't really have anything that I can think of that it reminded me enough to say that, Um Because I was trying to think back to New York, but New York doesn't quite have as much up and down. Um, So, yeah, I think it's kind of its own beast.
0: And I remember when they first put out the course map a while ago, there was this initial outburst of like, oh, my goodness, this is going to be such a slow course, relatively speaking, compared to some other high level marathons. It's hard for people to imagine Um, getting the Olympic standard on that course, especially if someone was like, was relatively close to the standard coming in, that might be a slower, a slower route than some other potential courses. How would you, I guess, how would you either validate or contradict that opinion um, now that you've seen it?
1: I think that, I mean, the women have such a solid group um, that have the standard already. I think that The top three, I can't, I can't see it going a whole lot slower than like 227. Um, It's a hard course, but a lot of people have ran hard courses and ran, you know, 226, 225, um, somewhere in that realm. So, you know, put it into an Olympic spot race. I think that it's going to go probably roughly that fast, pending the weather. If the weather's hot, then, you know, it could be anything. But I think on a good weather day that it will probably be somewhere in that zone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and when you when when you kind of, when you reconnoitered the course, was Ben with you? Did he get a, a look at it as well?
1: Yep, he ran it with me, so he was kind of already planning things for our our segment and kind of thinking of ways that he could work it into our workouts.
0: All right. Well, that's obviously really exciting, and, and it's and when you had that experience. Could could you see yourself visualizing? the race itself, or are you just kind of enjoying the run for what it was?
1: I visualize the last loop, um, you know, just cause like I said, I think that's going to be where the race is made. Um, you know, and just trying to picture myself in a good position and not fading in those last couple of miles and bringing it home and being in one of those top three spots.
0: Now, it seems like what, it's such a challenge. Everyone knows that the end of a marathon you know, is, is not the most pleasurable experience. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're going to be you know, hammering a hill and then trying to sprint down the opposite side. So with that being the case, there's going to be a number of people running in Olympic trials who you know, are very fast, but maybe aren't as experienced marathoners. And you have other people who have a lot of experience in a marathon. But do you think that a course like this might lend itself to um i guess favoring one category over the other
1: it's absolutely going to be a huge advantage to have had at least a few marathons under your belt uh ben when ben finished the course he <laughs> he said oh this is definitely not one today debut one so you know the more marathons you have on your legs within reason probably the better
0: Got it. So let's talk about your upcoming race schedule. You mentioned before, you don't have a lot of races necessarily on the calendar, which is why um, how you viewed Peachtree, you know, in that regard. So what do you have set up right now for the summer and for the fall?
1: Yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to do the USA Championship 5000 and 10,000. So that'll be really fun. Just get on the track again and kind of, you know, see how it goes. Try and get my legs moving. A little bit faster than marathon pace try and make one of those world team spots um because that would be a really neat opportunity and then the fall don't really have anything planned out for the fall yet other than a marathon
0: okay so you definitely will be running a marathon i am okay all right i know that was always the question when you have people like yourself who have the olympic standard is you know, do you, do you run the marathon in the fall or not? And so I'm, I'm excited to hear that that is going to be the case. Is there going to be a certain time frame in which that you're going to be announcing that?
1: Um, I think it'll be announced here in the next month or two.
0: All right. So so the U.S. Champs 5 and 10K, what has been your experience in terms of, you know, wanting to represent the United States at these various distances and taking advantage of that experience?
1: Oh, It's so fun. It's such a neat experience to be able to do that. Um, I haven't been able to do it for several years. I've just had to I've had to turn down several spots. And then the one time I could have taken a spot at US Cross for Worlds, I didn't make it. So, you know, I, I would be really excited to take take a team spot. I don't think I've been on a team since 2015. So it's been quite a while.
0: All right. So is there, obviously you're, you're running both the five, five K and 10 K. I'm sure you would welcome an opportunity to do either. Do you have a personal preference? Like if you had to choose one of these races, which ones would you choose?
1: 5,000. Absolutely. Why is that? Because the 10 is a horrible race. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's such i it... I'm sorry. <laughs> It's such a grind on the track. I don't, I can't recall a single 10,000 that I've ran where I haven't in my head, like, thought, tried to think of a way that I could get out of finishing it. Um, and I've not, the only race that I've never not finished in my whole entire life was Boston last year. So I've never actually took myself up on the, on the offer, but you know, I'm always like, well, maybe if I trip over the railing, that would look pretty realistic. (laughs) Or, you know, like, I don't know. There's just so many bad thoughts that go through my mind during it, but it's, it's a grind. I think just the fact that you're going around and around and you have to look at that stupid lap counter every single time. Um, it's hard. It's hard mentally.
0: Oh my goodness, Kellen, this this, like, I can like feel the connection right now because like, you're like talking everyone's (laughs) language here. Like, it's like I know exactly what you mean. I've been in that experience. I've run at the end of a marathon. I've been like, if a, if an, if a small animal were to come out right now and bite me in the leg, I would not object. I'd be happy to leave this race and not say it was my fault.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think you just have to push, push beyond those every race.
0: So, and I should have done my due diligence before talking to you, but do you have a feel for who else is going for the U.S. Championships 5 and 10K?
1: Um, I mean, I know that Molly's going to do it, Emily, Sisson. Um, I think you'll have, like, your Shelby. She'll probably do the 5,000. Steph is going to do both, possibly. Um, a couple of my other teammates, Danny and Aaron. Um you know, Rachel Schneider, I think she has the fastest 5,000 in the country this year. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a really hard team to make, but it'll be fun. Um, the five will be fun at least. So I'm excited about it. Oh,
0: that's great. That's great. So when you're preparing for this and we can talk again, uh, before the race, but When you're preparing for the 5k and the 10k, obviously, like we talked about earlier in this conversation, you're kind of like in perpetual marathon training mode, so to speak. But as you get really close to the race, do you start to, um, I guess, get a little more race specific with some of the training?
1: I mean, we throw it in every once in a while. It's really not a huge focal point for us. I think that In the first few years that I was on the team, Ben really focused on that a lot more and we just weren't having a lot of success with it. Um, so he kind of took step back a little bit this last year or two and focused more on the strength and we've had much better results. So, you know, he throws it in. We'll do maybe quarters at pace or, you know, K's or something of the sort. Um, every once in a while, but our real bulk, the real bulk of our work is just going to come from those longer extended efforts.
0: So it's just kind of like 95% of the time, if you're just, if you're fast, you're fast and it doesn't matter the
1: distance. I mean, kind, kind of, <laughs> kind of. Yeah.
0: That's interesting. I well, think
1: that if you're, if, you're if, you, if you if you're strong, if you're yeah, strong, it's going to play that. a big part in it.
0: Yeah. That's a better attitude yeah. for sure.
1: All right. Well, thank you
0: so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to catch up with you again. Um, as you progress through the summer and into the fall uh, before we get going what does the next you know week or two look like for you in terms of training?
1: I'm actually going uh, to my back home so I'm going to Wisconsin here for the next two weeks before USA's um, but yeah we'll just do a little bit of what we always do some longer extended efforts um, I think we have mile repeats here in a couple of days or two mile repeats that's what we're doing two mile repeats in a couple of days three by two mile and then i get to do some faster miles here next week where i'm maybe going to target more race specific pace um but yeah and then i've got those two two fast races sounds good thank you kellen i can't wait to catch up with you again yep thank you
0: thank you again kellen for coming on this show also thank you to aftershocks They're about to launch a big thing. I don't even know what it is, but they are really promoting their next launch uh, on July 23rd. So keep your eye out for what's going on with Aftershock. Something big, that's for certain. And considering what they've been able to do with their uh, headphones already, I'm just so excited to see what they have in store. Also, check out the Rambling Runner podcast if you haven't done so already this week, an episode with Jessica Dorsey, who recently ran 2.20, uh, 2.20, 2.53 at Grandma's Marathon. Also, she's a small business owner in the running space. She is just a force of nature. And if you like listening to this episode, I have no doubts that you'll like listening to hers as well. So thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti, from InPost Media. Also, thank you to MetaP for the music and his song, Evolution. Never retreat,
1: they stand, they me reach, I ain't settling sheep. person is deep, I'm a real person.